Okay, pasa, mufasa, buongiorno, aloha, and habari. That's Swahili for y'all. What's up? Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. This is a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. Today, we've got Mark Violo, founder of Myco Stories, on the podcast. On the industry side, we need more collaboration and as much as possible because there's so much discovery to be done. And this is why I think the role of a network like Myco Stories really has value to add in order for the space to reach that, that potential. Myco Stories is a global hub for fungi entrepreneurs. And the Myco Stories platform offers a curated and consolidated overview of the global mushroom industry and startup ecosystem are incredibly valuable offerings from Myco Stories. This podcast is brought to you by Usia Labs. That's O-U-S-I-A Labs, who are producing best in market home extraction equipment. The Usia Fountain is designed and priced for home cultivators who want to extract pure flavors, essences, and fragrances in turnkey capacity. Usia also offers industrial-scale extraction equipment. More info at usialabs.com, O-U-S-I-A-L-A-B-S.com. This podcast is also brought to you by MicroBoost, purveyors of high-quality fruiting body extract functional mushroom supplements. That's me drinking MicroBoost functional mushroom coffee right now. All right, without further ado, thanks for joining us today. Please consider rating and reviewing this podcast wherever you're listening and sharing it with a friend too if you feel compelled. All righty then, let's get down to business. Okay, pasa, mufasa, ni hao, shalom, salam alaikum, what's up everybody? We've got Mark from Myco Stories in the house today. Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. Mark, how's it going? I'm good. Thank you for the invite, Dennis. Real pleasure to be here. My pleasure. Mark, you've done an extraordinary job of making the global fungi and mycopreneurial space quite visually accessible for people to understand and to be able to trace who's doing what and where the opportunities for funding are, among other things. So let's start with square one. What's the guiding vision behind Myco Stories? If we start from the beginning, I was... Actually, not really into fungi as a, as a kid. Uh, I hated mushrooms. So my parents are, are quite surprised when I tell them uh, that I've decided to dedicate my life now to them and to uh, uh, basically how, how fungi can really revolutionize many of, of our industries today. And I used to have a, a career in um, different aspects of the circular economy. And as mushrooms are definitely the recyclers of our ecosystems, I, I could not help but to think about a way to uh, bring them more in my day-to-day -day life. Uh, and it's really through I guess desktop research and I discovered some of the the very magical properties of different types of fungi uh, beyond you know putting them on your pizza your pasta and and uh, and other applications and um, and I started digging in all directions and uh, the more I learned the more I wanted to know um, and and what I noticed actually is uh, that business applications information about real case studies was, was quite scattered um, and that there was loads of great stuff happening around the world. Um, but I had to dig in a variety of places online and in, uh, and in different books to, to try and piece all of these things together. Uh, and because it's quite a, uh, a new industry, newish industry, you know, um, I, I really feel that the space itself could, could benefit from a platform that would effectively connect 
showcase and um, enable more collaboration with within a space that has so much to, to give. Awesome. Let's punch in on that a little bit because there are various subsectors within the global fungi industry. Of course, Mycomaterials is booming right now. There's companies like Ecovative and Mycoworks and numerous other ones that are, you know, in pretty advanced in their funding rounds. And also we've got a number of companies creating sustainable foods, things like Atlas Food Companies, right? That's a huge frontier for a lot of companies to look at, especially when you think about circular economies and regenerative, sustainable food production. And then of course, you have things like mycoremediation. You have companies that are experimenting with different fungi that can eat plastic and eat cigarette butts and things like that. Mycofiltration, also quite new. We mentioned, we discussed a little bit about mycofuels or fungi-based fuels. And if you talk to Paul Stamets and some of these other broader thinkers about the applications of fungi, even astromycology, even thinking about off-planet mycology and seeing NASA and various other government organizations invest in things like mycoarchitecture and the possibility of building moon bases, things that sound really far out. But when you see some of the companies and departments and organizations funding them and some of the people putting their names behind some of these projects, it starts to become less science fiction and more science reality. So let's punch in on that map a little bit. And if you could, could you break down a little bit how you've structured the different sectors of the fungi industry? Yeah, so I like to divide them in, in four impact areas. Um, first one being food, um, second one being health, then everything linked to materials, and then finally, we could call it ecosystem or soil ecology. Um, and if we start with soil ecology, it's basically everything that comes down to agriculture, forestry, and bioremediation. So we know fungi are um, amazing and play a crucial role in maintaining soil health. Uh, so loads of interesting applications here um, that can inspire us to kind of rethink modern agriculture, to look to the wisdom of, of fungi. Um, and we talk about maintaining soil health. Uh, they're also here to help us restore our soil health. Uh, you've got micro-remediation companies like MicroCycle recently uh, raising uh, $2.2 uh, million. Uh, smaller players in France, you have Hyphen uh, that, is, that is developing such solutions. Um, and then the, the final one, um, which I, I'd love to speak a bit more of, is their carbon sequestration uh, possibilities. Um, we know that modern agricultural practice um, use a lot of tilling which effectively destroys most of our fungal ecosystem um, and unfortunately by doing so uh, we're destroying a key organi organism that's storing carbon in the soil um, and so you have companies like Funga uh, or, or Loam Bio uh, who are effectively developing their whole uh, business case around uh, empowering uh, landowners, uh, agriculture, uh, uh, farmers uh, to, yeah, to, to kind of uh, build these fungal ecosystem, leveraging mostly the power of mycorrhizal fungi to, to try and, 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 and keep that carbon into the soil. So first, really everything about soil ecology. Um, you could talk a little bit here uh, about the re renewable energy production as well with uh, uh, 
uh, biofuel production, basically uh, by the power of fungi to uh, break down uh, linocellulose uh, present in, in, in bio, uh, plant biomass. Um, and, and this helps effectively to, confer, to convert agricultural waste into uh, biofuels. And when you look at the, um, yeah, the, the huge problems we have in terms of uh, uh, fossil fuel-based uh, fuel production, you know, I think there's something really interesting here that hasn't really been um, exploited at, a, at a, a scaled commercial level yet. So watch the space. Um, the food industry, I like to divide it in, in uh, effectively uh, two parts. First one is uh, all the alt protein fermentation based, um, super, super vibrant space. You've got uh, dozens, if not hundreds of startups, uh, especially early stage ones, um, you know, that are really um, building on the incredible uh, nutrients present in a variety of uh, mushroom strains. Lots of uh, essential amino acids, vitamins, uh, great fiber. So you know we definitely need to like uh, increase the the fungi and the the uh, general public's uh, diet. Um, and then obviously you have the good old mushroom farming and uh, uh, mushroom farming and mushroom retail is is exploded uh, is is exploding at the moment. So fermentation and then farming. Um, and then on the health part, um, you've got the functional mushrooms also really booming. Uh, obviously, uh, the more traditional uh, pharmaceutical application, and there's like wonderful uh, progress being done here thanks to advancements in uh, the, uh, our capacity to DNA sequence certain, uh, certain strains. Uh, this means, uh, you know, lots of new potential and drug discoveries um, and uh, and kind of, again, learning in the, the great wisdom of, of fungi to find immunosuppressive, anti-cancer, antiviral uh, type type drugs. So uh, lots of progress here. And the final one, which at MycoStories, we haven't talked too much uh, yet, but I know you're an expert in this, Dennis, is uh, the whole psilocybin-based therapy in uh, mental health. And just to finish, you've got your materials at the end. We'll divide these uh, mostly in, I'd say, I'd say two. You've got your kind of product packaging. And the second one is everything textile based, looking at your leathers with uh, lots of funding going in that space as well. So the gift that you have for creating these visually compelling and clearly communicative maps and diagrams, I think, is one that should be celebrated. And another Another diagram that you've made, which has caught my attention, is about who's funding the fungi industry. And a lot of the sectors and industries you just touched on are quite profitable, huge, valuable, imposing industries. When you start thinking about agriculture, tech, food production, materials, etc. And I believe that the dollar amount that you had put on this last map, correct me if I'm wrong, is about $2.1 billion of the cumulative value of the global fungi ecosystem as it stands right now. So that's a very early stage industry, if you will, compared to some of these other sectors that fungi are poised to disrupt. If there actually is regenerative, healthy food production that's done at scale, just thinking about a country like India and like if 
if fungi alternatives to meat became widely available to the Indian population, what a massive impact that could have. And I know I'm not the only one thinking this way, but I would love it if you could break down a little bit some of the funding sources and that general overview of how you arrived at this $2.1 billion figure. And also what is preventing us from scaling to the point where these industries really start to be meaningfully disrupted at, at a, a much higher number? Yeah. So the 2.1 is, you know, doing my own math after doing a lot of desktop research. Um, there's a recent uh, research that was done by Insight, uh, Insight Ace Analytic, I believe, that uh, uh, got that number to 3 billion in 2021 um, and meant to double. Uh, in the next 10 years. That's still really small. And this is really focusing on kind of innovative mycelium-based technologies. So fermentation, uh, materials, textile, etc. cetera. Uh, this doesn't include the mushroom farming and mushroom production, which I believe is around 50 to $60 billion uh, industry at the moment. Um, you know, food uh, is definitely leading that, that, uh, that pot. Uh, but you have a lot of small players and then only, uh, I think there's, you know, two or three, like Nature's Find, I think, uh, is around, you know, close to a, a Series C. Uh, it's probably nearing half a billion, uh, half a billion um, raise to this day. Then you have Microtech around 200 uh, million as well um, at, at a Series E level. Um, and then in... In textiles, you probably have only only two that are really in growth stage, Boltres and Microworks in series uh, E, E and D respectively. Um, and and in packaging, I think you probably only have Ecovative. So, you know, we're really in this kind of really innovative mycelium investment market. Uh, growth stage companies are you know less than um less than uh, the the 10 fingers i i have on on my hand so uh so many early stage uh that need more support uh but that really are onto something uh because there's a lot of like you know series a pre-seed seeds going down um and what what i think is is necessary is um, that it's going to take the capital, it's going to take patience and trust from the investors. Uh, and then on the industry side, we need more collaboration and as much as possible um, because there's so much discovery to be done. And this is why uh, I think the role of a network like MicroStories really has uh, value to add uh, in order for the space to, to reach that, that potential. Um, yeah, and so you you mentioned um, like you know what's preventing the space from uh, from going faster. Um, you know, I think compared to software uh, SaaS type investments, like most of these companies are requiring um, a slightly more important initial capital investment. You know, you need to uh, have you know, grow rooms or bioreactors on, on different scales that are going to obviously have uh, much greater implications in, in, in terms of your upfront uh, production setup. Um, and then there's, you know, little processes and little automation that has been done because the space is still fairly new, right? So hence the, the 
important um, that this is innovation in, in, in its pure sense, right? This is three to five years um, until we start really seeing all of these uh, companies in, in these different themes of, um, of fungal innovation really scale up. And then obviously um, the kind of macro factors is, you know, we are, we are in a time uh, where you've got high inflations, uh, you've got the war in Ukraine not helping, um, household under high financial pressure. So, you know, it reduces this investor's uh, appetite for risk. Um, and, uh, and hopefully 2024 will be, uh, will be brighter on that note. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and we'll, we'll see uh, a bit more risk taking from, from some of the investors. But if you just take a look at the uh, investor map that was published on, on Micah Stories, you know, you still have a, a quite large pool of about, you know, 200 VCs, family offices, accelerators that are already, you know, putting money into this. So they're uh, believing into what I think are, are great solutions for, for solving tomorrow's challenges. Oh, you and me both and a ton of other people around the planet who are taking up this mantle independently and starting to connect, connect with each other. And I think it's natural that we should call it spore funding instead of seed funding in regards to the mushroom space. So I'm an advocate for that. So what are your insights regarding micropreneurs or fungi entrepreneurs in the global south? This is a topic that fascinates me because I think with a lot of investment, it's very traditional, especially when talking about de-risking an investment. People often look towards these global cultural capitals, you know, Los Angeles, there's companies based in Los Angeles or New York or Lisbon or whatever. But in my travels and my studies, I know that you're preparing to embark on a global odyssey yourself. There are many different micropreneurs hailing from all over the planet. And I have a great level of excitement about the potential of somebody in a place like Bangalore, India, who starts to work with fungi or a person in Uganda and Kampala who starts to work with it. And, you know, it doesn't require for a small micropreneur, which is part of the, the thesis of this podcast, it doesn't require a ton of resources to get a mushroom business started. If you're talking about scaling and getting to like, you know, series A, B, C, that might be a different story. But I still think that there's a huge amount of untapped potential in the global south. And that comes down to education and resource availability and things like that. And I've been following these stories for a long time, following like... Uh, in a Syrian refugee camp where a man learned how to grow oyster mushrooms and then was able to teach his neighbors. And all of a sudden, that's an immediate, tangible solution to a very pressing crisis of resource uh, unavailability in a refugee camp. And you, the more you start to look for these stories, you kind of see them all over the place. People who have been very resourceful and creative. And I think that fungi are a great asset or technology uh, to leverage because they're also very resourceful and creative. So I'd be curious, what are some of your insights into the Myco stories that you found coming from less conventional places such as the global South? Yeah, so first, um, I think that is the role of Myco stories is to make sure that no one falls through the crack and that if you're doing um, something innovative with mushrooms, if you're um, whatever scale you might be in a, in, at a university level or at a, in, in your growth stage, 
uh, like we need to represent you wherever you might be. And I really enjoyed hearing from you telling me that, you know, there's this new uh, India Mushroom Festival, Shroom Shaba happening uh, pretty soon. And likewise, an African Mushroom Festival happening in Uganda in, in October. Um, I mean, these are everywhere. And so we need to make sure that everyone knows uh, and that these people are speaking to each other. So um, without necessarily simplifying it too much, what I've, what I've seen is that weirdly in South America, um, it's a lot of materials focused innovation, uh, super early stage. Uh, the only one, the only company that I would say uh, raised above a million uh, is a Mexican company called Polybion um, that uh, creates textile, uh, turning uh, fruit and agricultural waste into a high performance leather. Uh, I think they're using a mix between bacteria and fungi for that. Um, and then beyond that, it's a lot of research, citizen science, uh, citizen scientist led um, projects. Um, I, a, a personal project that I love is called Mycomaker, uh, great myco material studio coming from Ecuador. Um, but yeah, again, lots of early stage, you know, watch that space. I'm sure there's a lot sprouting from there in, in the next five years. Um, and then in Asia, what I've seen is it's really more focused on early stage alternative protein fermentation focused startups. Um, I've been speaking to, to three recently, um, one's based in Singapore called Allium Bio and actually Co uh, Corallo in Korea uh, that are both using uh, co-fermentation between microalgae and mycelium uh, to produce, uh, in Alum Bio's case, it's uh, really nutritious ingredients uh, uh, for, for all sorts of food. And then uh, Corallo uh, has this product called New Fish, which is effectively a, a mycelium-based cod filet. Um, and, uh, and then the last one that I spoke to uh, earlier this week actually is Possible, coming from India. Uh, who've been developing a mycelium plant pet superfood. Um, I think they're just about to, to, to close a half million seed round. So again, super early stage. Um, and on the material side, the one worth noting is this uh, Indonesian mycotextile startup called Mycel. Uh, they've been around for uh, a few years now. I think they have a production capacity uh, already uh, around 10,000 square foot of myco leather type product, um, and then currently raising their 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 Series A. So yeah, exciting exciting stuff to to watch. It's amazing to watch it unfold simultaneously, and you know to hear thinking about like Indonesia with a population of approximately 300 million people or so, uh, and you know industries that arguably have not been super sustainable in the past. So to imagine like the disruptive potential uh, and also seeing proof of concept over in the States and in Europe with some of these companies we mentioned to say, you know, it's not a pipe dream when you've got MycoWorks who just closed a hundred million dollar plus funding round last year and partnerships with Adidas and Lululemon, et cetera. So that's really inspiring to watch. And I, I think about these markets like India or like China, and you kind of mentioned the food production and China has a 4,000 year history with mushrooms. And I was just over in Southeast Asia. I was in Singapore and I connected with some micropreneurs over there. I was in Korea, in Japan, and 
in some of the, especially in the Chinese markets in some of these areas, you can buy packages of cordyceps for like three or four US dollars. And in the US, from someone I know, I would pay potentially 50 to $75 for a half ounce. So that just shows, and that's, that's very specialty food still. Like you go to most markets in the US, you're not gonna find a bag of cordyceps. You'll probably find some products, but I notice them everywhere over there, just like bags of lion's mane, cordyceps. So the mushroom culture is so deeply integrated into, I think the Pan-Asian region or the ASEAN region. I also used to live in the Middle East. So having spent a lot of time in Saudi Arabia and in the MENA region and the Emirates, I think about uh, you know, how disruptive this could be if mushroom supplements and you know, the, the tinctures and whatnot caught on over there and obviously all the materials and all the other uh, sectors that you touched on right there. So I think we both share uh, very, it's very reasonable to understand why we're both excited about this space. Now, let me ask you about how you first got personally invested in learning about fungi. Most people have some kind of transformational experience or they notice something they never saw before. And, you know, for me growing up, I had zero interest in mushrooms like you. They were the weird things that some people put on their pizza. I saw the, the baby bellows or the button mushrooms in the supermarket. No interest. And really it was... Uh, the genesis of this podcast of this podcast came after reading a trad cotter book called organic mushroom farming and myco remediation which was gifted to me and also that was my first go around with growing mushrooms i grew exactly one shiitake off a log so i for years i said i've grown mushroom not mushrooms because i only had one that sprouted but after reading that book that's the first time i ever heard of mushroom packaging that's the first time i heard of mycopigments and you know all of these broader applications right around the time when e-commerce was really starting to blow up and everybody was ordering all of their goods online and i was just seeing you know, so many packages come to my door and I'm reading this book about mushroom, you know, the mushroom packaging. And I go, well, what would it take to replace all of this packaging with a more sensible material if it's theoretically possible? Here we are a few years later and we're starting to see that uh, proof of concept and in some cases at scale being rolled out. So what was your personal entree into the world of learning about fungi and all the broader applications of what they can offer? Yeah, so I lived in uh, in Shanghai in China for seven years. So it's uh, it's there that I kind of opened my mind because you know basically I couldn't read anything on the menus, so I'd probably be ordering mushroom without really knowing. Um, and so that's where I was like, oh wow, there's actually this huge world of uh, yeah diverse strains. Um, and then you know actually pretty late in life uh reading some of the the massive classics like mycelium running uh then going deep into uh peter mccoy's radical mycology which was uh you know heavy lifting at the time but like you know really uh like completely blew my mind away because like how can it be that a uh a third kingdom a full uh, living organism kingdom has been kept uh, under the radar, fairly secretive, uh, barely taught about in, in schools and in biology classes. Um, and it's like, it, it has so many of these applications. Uh, and so it really, uh, I think it was the radical mycology book from uh, Pete McCoy that, that kind of opened the Pandora's box, which I've had yet to emerge yeah sure well that segues into my next question which is 
Who are some of the seminal influences on you in this space? I mentioned for me, Trad Cotter had a big impact on me. In recent years since launching the podcast, Alex Dorr from Mushroom Revival, who I'm very fortunate to call a close friend, has had a big impact on me and the way he conducts his business and his studies of mycology. I'm a big fan of Four Sigmatic as a brand, just seeing what they've been able to achieve and um, have been fortunate to have their national educator, Danielle Ryan Broida, on the podcast a few times. Jeff Chilton and Namex. I'm a big fan of the way he approaches the space and Real Mushrooms and Namex. I guess Real Mushrooms being um, what his son runs. And just so many other smaller mycopreneurs like William Padilla Brown, the citizen mycologist you mentioned, someone like Alan Rockefeller. I think those are two examples of people who have done incredible game-changing work and made big impacts in their community with bootstrapping the whole time. And that's something that inspires me about fungi entrepreneurs is a lot of times like there's no funding for this. So one of the groups I'm very closely affiliated with here in Chiapas where I stay is called Fungaria. And it's a couple of university educated mycologists who essentially have set about the task of reconnecting a lot of the ancestral knowledge of fungi that exists in Mexico uh, with the modern society and also integrating best practices with scientific rigor, things, you know, like phylogeny and taxonomy. So it's really inspiring to see these people with very little funding bridging the indigenous communities and their knowledge of fungi, which is rapidly waning, uh, you know, due to forces of globalization, etc., with these modern techniques like PCR analysis, right, and DNA sequencing, which you touched upon. And the work of the Fungi Foundation, Juliana Furchi, who's been on the podcast, right? They're actively mapping out all of the different indigenous use cases from around the world. And I got a chance to hear her talk about this in Telluride at the Telluride Mushroom Festival. And that blew my mind. When you hear about, you know, some of the technology that people from different parts of the planet who supposedly had no contact were using uh, fungi for the same purposes, you know, maybe a group in Norway and a group in Uruguay or Paraguay were using the same fungi for the same applications. And that's quite fascinating. And as you mentioned, you know, this third kingdom that's been swept under the rug. So who are some of the mycologists and some of the companies who had a big influence on you in founding MycoStories? I mean, great, great question. First of all, um, you know, I, I really resonate well with people who are fairly humble. Uh, and I'm, I, you know, in all honesty, I know so little uh, about the, the incredible world of, of fungi. And, and what I'm amazed by is that you have people like Juliana Forti, who've been, you know, uh, like, forager, uh, launching uh, the, the Fungi Foundation, launching initiatives, conservation initiatives like Funga, um, and who still are so accessible and so humble in the way that they talk about this, this, wonderful, uh, this wonderful field. Um, you know, likewise, Merlin Sheldrake, um, you know, I know he's, he's being publicized a, a lot, at the moment, but for for such good reasons, you know, because uh, he he really has a way of um, just empowering people in this, you know, it, it's not really telling them uh, what they should do or it, it's not uh, a top down approach. It's really like, let's show a bit of humility and respect for the living world and uh, and, you know, and let's look to fungi to find some of the answers, the solutions that are 
enabling potential shifts necessary from the 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 way that we that we currently run our societies and our our, our industry. So, um, you know, Merlin and, and Juliana are, are are dear dear to my heart. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Terence McKenna as well uh, and his uh, theory of the stone ape, uh, which you know I'd I'd be ready to bet on its veracity. Um, if you don't know what the theory of the stone ape is, uh, please look into it. It's 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 a wonderful one. Um, and then more recently, uh, I've discovered this self-taught French mycologist called Guillaume Lopez. Um, and what I love is that he's um, he's kind of empowering hundreds of thousands of French speakers to uh, to put greater importance in in putting more mushrooms in their in their daily life. Uh, I actually just finished a, an online course of his, um, which I can't recommend more. It's on the, the resource page of the MicroStories website. Feel free to check it out. Um, and then finally, I think worth mentioning maybe on, on the business side, um, uh, very early on in the, during the brainstorming part of uh, developing micro stories, I reached out to Maurizio Montalti from um, from Mogu. He also runs Officina Corpuscoli and Skim, the Italian holding company that has Mogu and uh, Ifia, the the micro leather uh, business. Um, and you know, I was pretty much you know no one, very little understanding of the uh, overall space. And you know, he was so willing to. To share, um, still incredibly passionate after 15 years in this space, um, and on top of being this wealth of of, of knowledge, you know, he was so pragmatic, um, which which really helped me uh, to 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 yeah to, to have a clear and real picture and not this uh, kind of dream all everything's possible uh, picture of the space. So. Um, yeah, thanks to him uh, for for his uh, early advice uh, into into building micro stories. Awesome, thanks for that. So let's touch upon psilocybes and psilocybin. Quite frankly, I think the interest in psilocybin right now in the general public is driving a lot of interest towards mushrooms. People having their first mushroom experiences, microdosing being a huge dominant force in the culture right now. Psilocybin mushrooms are a huge part of that, but there also seems to be a delineation between a lot of functional mushroom companies, you know, a lot of people doing this type of work and materials, etc., with this psilocybin being investigated for mental health. And yes, there are an increasing number of studies being done. I know that you've published some of the work of the Beckley Foundation. I've had both Amanda Fielding, the founder of Beckley, and also the Beckley Retreats Director, Neil Markey on the podcast. And that's being done right in a quite controlled, rigorous setting with a lot of funding and clinical trial design behind it, research, et cetera. But I'm just curious from your perspective, why have you sectioned off psilocybin mushrooms as being an area you know, outside of what you're focusing on when there's also unde undebatably so much value that at some point is going to be attached to that? Yeah, great, great question. And um, yeah, in all honesty, I'm a huge believer and proponent of uh, using psilocybin and other forms of psychedelics to support people with uh, mental health issues. Uh, I, 
I think it's been scientifically proven. Lots of great research that has been covering, you know, the last decade at least. And I'm glad that there is uh, parts of the world, you know, California, even the UK is catching on, the Netherlands, uh, that are starting to embrace this. Um, and I think the reasons I've, the, the, the main reason that I've shied away for now to really um, take a, a firm stance on this is um, I want to be super cautious um, when promoting and showcasing uh, anything that leads um, to connecting mental health treatment with um, a for-profit business. Uh, so um, because I, I, I don't have enough knowledge, I believe, uh, when it comes to the actual psychedelics industry, um, I want to partner with people who have that experience so that, so that when we talk about it, we, we can really make sure that we're bringing information that, that keeps the integrity of this you know, beautiful drug um, that we would be putting uh, on the market and that would deliver the health benefits um, that it has already been delivering in a small number of cases. Um, and so, yeah, so it's really, I wanna make sure that when we talk about um, psychedelics in the mental health industry, and we're really talking about um, helping people as opposed to uh, making money. Awesome. Yes, I have a great deal of respect for the way that you're approaching that issue. And I found my sweet spot with satire, as you've probably seen. But I agree with you that being rigid and very thorough and comprehensive and the way that you approach this subject matter is going to be very important. Having platforms specifically, having journalists and people who run platforms doing their due diligence and not trying to just race to the bottom and chase a quick payday because there's a demand for it, right? There's no, so yeah, this is a, a subject that I'm constantly investigating myself and reformatting my opinions. So I think I have one more question for you today, Mark, and that's where do you see Myco's stories going in the immediate future in the next six months or so? And where would you like to see Myco's stories and the fungi industry at large a few years down the road? Call it 2025. Boom. Um, so the next six months are super exciting. Um, I'm embarking uh, on a world tour, uh, going to meet and work with uh, a variety of micro entrepreneurs out there. Uh, so starting with Asia, so Singapore, Indonesia, uh, and Japan. And after I'll be um, uh, going over to Latin America, again, to make sure that, you know, all geographies are represented through the network. Uh, and so the goal here is really to in six to 12 months have the most comprehensive database of companies, of investors, academic institutions that are working with fungi, supporting the much needed growth in this industry and enabling these connections. Once again, you know, um, it's all about open access to knowledge, knowledge dissemination um, and, and creating this mycelial network. Um, and then ideally in the next six months, I'd like to also identify, you know, key partners who share similar ethos uh, vision of the role of fungi who are keen to join me in developing micro stories. Um, you know, the, the psychedelics aspects that I've just mentioned. I'm not an expert. If someone wants to join me and, and support me in, in, in representing that um, according to my ethos, like, let's do it. 
Um, and uh, yeah, the end goal in five years, the, the vision with MicroStories is how do we bring more financial resources, more people to look to fungal solutions to disrupt their, their industry, right? It's, it's all going to be about scale. The more people develop uh, uh, myco-based uh, packaging solutions, uh, the more knowledge there will be to automatize production lines, for example. And so, you know, I, I'm really hoping that MicroStories plays a role in, in, in broadening the awareness, bringing a lot of the mainstream people in, um, and and with that, uh, the funding that all of these early stage startups need. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on the Mycopreneur podcast. That is Mark of Myco Stories. And it's been a pleasure hosting you. And I look forward to ongoing collaborations with you. Love it. And uh, yeah, keep on doing what you're doing, Dennis. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, mycopreneur at gmail.com. Or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Mycopreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Mycopreneur Podcast.